ಪಾರ್ಥಯ ಪ್ರತಿಬೋಧಿತಗವತ ನಾರಾಯಣೇನ ಸ್ವಯಂ ವ್ಯಾಸೇನಗ್ರಸಿತುರಾಣಮುನಿನಾ ಮಧ್ಯೆ ಮಹಾಭಾರತ ಅದ್ವೈತಮೃತವರ್ಷಿಣೀ ಭಗವತೀ ಅಷ್ಟಾಧ್ಯಾಯಿನೀಂಬತ್ವಾಮನುಸಂಧಾಮಿಷಿಣೀ ನಮೋಸ್ತು ದೇವ್ಯಾಸವಿಶಾಲಬುಧೆ ಹುಲ್ಲಾರವಿಂದಯತಪತ್ರೇತ್ರಯತೈಲಪೂರ್ಣ ಪ್ರಜ್ವಾಲಿಮಯ ಪ್ರದೀಪ ಪ್ರಪನ್ನಪಾರಿಜಾತ್ರೇತ್ರೈಕಪಾಣೇ ಜ್ಞಾನಮುದ್ರಾ ಕೃಷ್ಣಾ ಗೀತಾಮೃತದುಹೆ ನಮಃ ಸರ್ವೋಪನಿಷದೋಗಾವೋಪಾಲನಂದನ ಪಾರ್ಥೋವತ್ಸುಧೀರ್ಭೋಕ್ತುಗ್ಧೀತಾಮೃತ ಮಹದ ವಸುದೇವಸುತಂದೇವಂಕಾಣೂರ್ಮರ್ದನಂದೇವಕೀಪರಮಂದೇ ಜಗದ್ಗುರು ಭೀಷ್ಮ್ರೋಣತಟಾಜಯದ್ರಸಜಲ ಗಾಂಧಾರನೀಲೋತ್ಪಲ ಶಲ್ಯಗ್ರಾಹವತಿ ಕೃಪೇಣ ವಹನಿ ಕರ್ಣೇನ ವೇಲಾಕುಲ ಅಶ್ವತ್ಥಾಮಕರ್ಣಘೋರಮಕರ ದುರ್ಯೋಧನಾವರ್ತಿ ಸೋತ್ತೀರ್ಣ ಖಲು ಪಾಂಡವೈರಣನದಿ ಕೈವರ್ತಕ ಕೇಶವ ಪಾರಾಶರ್ಯವಚಸರೋಜಮಲ ಗೀತಾರ್ಥಗಂಧೋತ್ಕಟಂ ನಾನಾಖ್ಯಾನಕೇಸರ ಹರಿಕಥಾಬೋಧಿ ಲೋಕೆ ಸಜ್ಜನ ಷಟ್ಪದೈರಹರ ಪೇಪೀಯಮಾನ ಮುದ ಭೂಯಾತ ಪಂಕಜಂಕಲಿಮಲ ಪ್ರಧ್ವಂಸಿನ್ರೇಯಸೆ ಮೂಕಂಕರೋತಿ ವಾಚಾಲ ಪಂಗುಂ ಲಂಘಯತೆ ಗಿರಿ ಯತ್ಕೃಪಾತಮಹಂ ವಂದೇ ಪರಮಾನಂದಮಾಧವ ಯಂ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮವರುಣೇಂದ್ರರುದ್ರಮರುದ ಸ್ತುನ್ವಂತಿ ದಿವ್ಯೈಸ್ತವೈ ವೇದೈಸ್ಸಾಂಗಪದಕ್ರಮೋಪನಿಷದೈ ಗಾಯಂತಿ ಯಂ ಸಾಮಗಾಹ್ಯಾನಾವಸ್ಥಿತದ್ಗತೇನ ಮನಸ ಪಶ್ಯಂತಿ ಯೋಗಿನ ಯಾಂತನ್ನ ವಿದುಸ್ಸುರಸುರಗಣ ದೇವಾಯತಸ್ಮೈ ನಮಃ Bhagavad-gita, as you know, is a dialogue between Lord Krishna, who is a teacher, and Arjuna, who is a disciple. 
one of the most famous texts of the world as a matter of fact next to the bible i think has been translated in the most world languages is a very important work it is considered to be also an authentic source book the other day we talked about pramana the valid means of knowledge and the scriptures are called shabda pramanam means of knowledge in the form of words thus upanishads are considered as pramanam the valid means of knowledge revealing the nature of the self nature of the truth and upanishads are part of vedas vedas are revealed texts and they are considered to be revealed by god himself through the medium of the sages through the seers and therefore when it is revealed by god who is omniscient it is free from any blemish when something is written by a human being or composed by a human mind it is going to reflect the limitations of human mind and of course there are regardless of how great the mind of a human being is it is going to have limitations <clears throat> because human being is not omniscient he doesn't know everything simultaneously he can know only one thing and that to also one aspect of a thing so that being the case we do not take as authorities any compositions of human mind and therefore there is a whole class of texts called smritis so the vedas are called shruti shruti means those texts which are revealed and which are passed on from in tradition by word of mouth from the teacher to the student whereas other texts are called smruti smruti are the texts which are composed by also sages and whose central theme is the same as that which is revealed in the vedas but still the smruti is the text which are composed by human beings and therefore they do not enjoy the same degree of reverence or authority or acceptance as the shruti enjoys shruti or the vedas are accepted by us as without any question because they are what we call the pramanam the means of knowledge just as we accept without question the data revealed to us by the eyes in terms of colors or the the perception of sound through the ears just as we accept it without question and so also we accept without question what is revealed by the vedas <coughs> however bhagavad gita also enjoys the status of what we call pramanam or valid means of knowledge why is it so because it is also taken as a revealed text it is spoken by none other than lord krishna who is considered to be incarnation of god <clears throat> and therefore possessed of all the godly virtues like omniscience omnipotent and therefore bhagavad gita being revealed by him it is because of the nature of the one from whom the bhagavad gita has emerged that bhagavad gita also has attained essentially the same status as that of the upanishads <coughs> and so bhagavad gita also is considered as what we call pramana grantha or a text which reveals with authority the nature of truth and therefore we accept as valid all the revelations of bhagavad gita that is why bhagavad gita enjoys that reverence and that status uh, from the particularly from the people in india who look upon that as with the same 
reverence as they look upon the Upanishad. And it is very necessary for us to understand this. Because when we study something or when we listen to a text, <coughs> the extent to which we shall be willing to accept what this text declares is going to depend upon the extent of our reverence for the text. After all, when we are given some instruction by somebody, then what will be our response to that instruction? It will depend upon the reverence in which we regard that person who is giving us instruction. <coughs> and so, perhaps coming from someone who is highly revered by us, if we hear something which does not right away meet with our agreement or meet with our own present understanding or views, then also we are likely to accept it, knowing that that person from whom it is coming knows better than even I. So this is a kind of status and significance that we accord to what we call pramana or the authoritative text. <coughs> and we will have a chance to discuss this in the morning classes during the Tobhoda when we discuss what we call Shraddha. Shraddha is the trust that I have which enables me to accept without question, not swallow without question, understand. But accept without question, accept for consideration. Even, even the teachers of Vedanta or the Upanishads do not accept that we swallow what they tell us or that we accept unquestioningly what they tell us. But definitely we give them a benefit of doubt. We look upon those words and statements with a degree of reverence and devotion and give them all the benefit of doubt and also train our thinking in a manner which is agreeable to or which is disposed to appreciate the meaning of what is told us. It's one thing to listen questioningly with resistance or with revolt or with disbelief. It's another thing to listen with reverence and with an attitude of accepting and giving a benefit of doubt. And therefore, a student of Vedanta, I would say any student, always gives that benefit of doubt to the scriptures. And they alone are called scriptures which are held in high reverence. And which we have trusted, what they say is true because it comes from that which is impartial, which is competent to know the truth. And therefore, we accept them as revealing the truths of life which are not perceptible to us and which may not be easily comprehended by our own intellect. <coughs> and therefore to establish pramanyam or validity of a text becomes very necessary for a student because that alone will determine how I look upon these statements of this text. Otherwise I'll reject them. Right at first sight, if I think that it doesn't make sense, I'll reject them. But if I have the Shraddha, if I have that faith with devotion, then I will not reject them. I will definitely give them all the consideration that is possible. And then also not reject them, but perhaps set them aside, maybe for an understanding at a future date, when I think that I will be in a position to understand them. And so, Pramanyam or the validity of a text must first be determined. Upanishads enjoy that pramanam, enjoy that validity because Vedas are accepted as pramanam. <coughs> but how about Bhagavad Gita? Is Bhagavad Gita a pramanam? 
Is it a valid source of knowledge? Can we give it the same status as we give it to the Upanishad? And if we do, then of course we will look upon the statements of Bhagavad Gita in a certain light, as I said, in a, with a certain reverence, with a certain faith and trust. <coughs> and so, Shankarajari also addresses this problem first, about the validity of Bhagavad Gita. Who is the one who is the teacher of Bhagavad Gita? Lord Krishna, who is Narayana himself. And here comes what we call the principle, a very important principle of what we call incarnation. Understand, incarnation is different from birth. People often ask us this question, Swamiji, do you believe in reincarnation? The proper question should be, Swamiji, do you believe in rebirth? Because human beings of the limited souls are born, whereas God takes incarnation. Incarnation is the word that is reserved for the appearance of Lord in a given form. And, and the principle there is, acceptance there is, that when there is incarnation, the incarnation is a response. Incarnation is not similar like an ordinary birth, which is a product of the past actions. <coughs> and where the one who is born is limited by the very embodiment. On the other hand, an incarnation, incarnation such as that of Lord Krishna, is not the product of any actions or any kind of a desire or a selfish motive, but it is a response to a situation, response to the needs of perhaps a large group of people or response to a very important requirement at a given point in time, some kind of an urgency. And it is response by what we call the total mind, response by the omniscient mind. And therefore, incarnation is an appearance and not a birth. Therefore, it is immaculate or it is not contaminated. It is free from any limitations that are there with, with a human being who is embodied. <coughs> Thus, Lord Krishna is looked upon as incarnation of God. And therefore, and he is the author of Bhagavad Gita. And God is omniscient, without any fault, impartial, all-knowing, at the same time without any fault or blemish. And therefore Bhagavad Gita also being, uh, being taught by Lord Krishna also is accepted in the text which doesn't have any fault or doesn't have any limitations of human mind which enjoys the status of what we call Pramanam. Because why do we accept the Vedas as Pramanam? Because Vedas are revealed by God. And similarly also, Bhagavad Gita also is revealed by Lord Himself, who has revealed the Vedas. And this is the point that is sought to be made here in the beginning of the introduction of this text. Shankaracharya first wishes to establish what we call Pramanyam or the validity of Bhagavad Gita. By establishing that, Bhagavad Gita has been taught by none other than Lord Narayana or the God, who is the Creator. Who is a sustainer? Who is the ordainer? Who is omniscient, omnipotent? Possessed of all the bhaga or aishwarya or the glories in their absolute measure. And he has revealed this text. And therefore, 
it has what we call a pramanyam or validity. This is the idea. And therefore, in introduction to this text, Shankaracharya quotes one verse from a Purana, from another text. Says here, Om Narayaf Paravyaktad Andama Vyakta Sambhavam Andasyantastvame Lokaha Saptadvipacha Medini. Says Narayana. So who is Narayana? Narayana means the Lord. He is Avyaktat Paraha. He is the one who is Paraha, who is one who is above, or one who transcends Avyakta, or what we call the Maya. <coughs> and thus he is the very substratum of the creation. He wields the power of Maya to create, meaning the creation is comparable to, the, as we have been saying in Panchadashi, the creation of like a magician who by his magical power brings about a creation and without any substance behind it and so also the whole creation has been brought forth by the creative power inherent in Lord and from that Maya or the creative power has come the whole universe in the whole universe we have different worlds like this world the intermediate world the heavens that is how the universe was looked upon Saptadvipacha Medini and we have this whole procedure of the Medini which is also part of the world which consists of seven islands. In the olden days they used to look upon the earth as consisting of seven islands surrounded by the sea. So idea is that this whole universe is a creation of Lord Narayana. Who is Narayana the Lord? He is the creator. And then Shankaracharya now commences his introduction to Bhagavad Gita. Says, Sa Bhagavan Srishtvayadam Jagat Tasyachasthitim Chikeshuhu Marichyadin Agre Srishtva Prajapadin Pravuttilaksham Dharmam Grahayamasa Vedoktam Sa Bhagavan, that Bhagavan, that Lord Srishtvayadam Jagat having created the universe. That is the Lord created this universe. Tasyachasthitim chikeshuhu and then desirous of maintaining the sthiti or the order in the universe. Naturally when something, when, when you created something, you would wish that that should be properly maintained. It should properly function. It's not that we create something to see it perishing or dying, not serving its purpose. But the Lord having created the universe also desires of seeing that it functions properly, that a harmony or an order is maintained in the whole universe. He also created along with the universe what we call Prajapatin. Those who are the masters of Praja or those who are the masters of the beings, Marichyadin, Prajapatin, Agresrishtva. He created these Prajapatis, meaning those who are the, the masters of the beings, those who are the rulers of the beings, those who are themselves creator and rulers. Vedoktam pravartilaksham dharmam grahayamasa. And he made this prajapatis. Prajapatis means the, the, uh, the masters, the rulers he created. And he made them adopt what we call pravartilakshana dharma. Dharma or a way of life. Dharma the righteous way of life of involving pravritti or engagement. Thus we find there are basically two modes of life in the universe, in the world. 
वन इज कॉल प्रवृत्ति इन संस्कृत अदर इज कॉल निवृत्ति प्रवृत्ति मीन्स एक्टिविटी और एंगेजमेंट एंड निवृत्ति मीनिंग रिनाउंसिएशन और डिसंगेजमेंट इसेंशियली दिस इज वॉट वी फाइन इन द वर्ल्ड मोस्ट ऑफ द वर्ल्ड इज एंगेज इन प्रवृत्ति इज एंगेज इन एक्टिविटी बिकॉज मोस्ट पीपल इन द वर्ल्ड डिजायर प्लेजर्स एंड हैप्पीनेस विच द थिंग इज आउट देयर इन द वर्ल्ड एंड देवर मोस्ट पीपल इन द वर्ल्ड आर आउट देयर परफॉर्मिंग वेरियस एक्शंस इन ऑर्डर टू गेन डिफरेंट ऑब्जेक्ट सो दैट दे कैन बी हैप्पी सो मोस्ट पीपल आर वॉट वी कॉल एक्सट्रोवर्ट और एक्टिव पीपल एंड वाई यू परफॉर्म एक्टिविटी ह्यूमन बींग बींग वॉट ही इज सिंस लॉर्ड इज गिफ्टेड इम विद दिस पावर ऑफ इंटेलैक्ट विथ विच यू कैन थिंक विथ विच यू कैन क्रिएट विथ विच यू कैन नो थिंग्स with which which is a very powerful instrument at his command and we know what an amount of progress human being has made from the beginning of history and how by his power of intellect he has been able to even master the nature master various nature of forces and has been able to create a very comfortable life he is a very powerful person powerful being by the power of his intellect in fact the human being can even control such powerful animals strong animals as elephants and even lions and tigers who are much stronger in physical force physical power but then the power of his intellect ultimately is the supreme power and whenever there is a power whenever there is a privilege given there must always be accompanied with the privilege what we call a responsibility this is a privilege given to the human being what we call the intellect the power of thinking learning creating this is the power given discriminating this is the power of the privilege given to the human being which makes human being the 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 most exalted creation and the most powerful being but whenever this privilege is given whenever power is given it is necessary that that the responsibilities must accompany that privilege just as when we are given a motor car and i am sitting behind a steering wheel driving the motor car it's a privilege that i enjoy i enjoy a lot of freedom to drive my car at in whichever direction i want to drive at whatever speed i want to drive i have that privilege i have that freedom of choice but when that freedom and privilege and power are given to me it is necessary that they must be accompanied by a sense of responsibility because power or privilege can always be abused so since it is possible that human being may abuse the power he may abuse the privilege that is granted to him therefore it is necessary that there must be a certain order just as there are what we call the the regulation the road regulations of driving there are traffic regulations and there are rules and regulations which govern the the drivers that you can drive all right but not beyond a certain speed you can drive all right but only on this lane on the right and not on the left you can drive all right but you must stop when there is red light you can drive all right but you must give a right of way when a traffic comes from a certain direction and whatever it is if these rules and regulations were not there to keep in check the freedom and the privilege that we have 
then it's quite possible that human beings abuse that freedom and bring about a lot of destruction, a lot of damage to themselves and to others. Imagine what would happen on the highways if there were no traffic regulations at all, if there were no traffic police, if there's no traffic patrol, imagine, how nice would it be? Here every morning you drive, you find at least two or three fellows on your way being caught by the traffic police, you know, by the uh, highway patrol for violation of the speed and whatever it is. Suppose they were not there. People would just drive like crazy because they're cra- the, the mind, if it is there, that's what gets reflected in the behavior also, whatever it is. But definitely it would not be safe. <coughs> and therefore, to ensure safety, security, order, it is necessary that there must be what we call the regulations. And this order is called dharma. So dharma is the moral order which governs all the activities that we perform. And this order of course, there is what we call common sense dharma or the common sense values. But at the same time, all these common sense values also need interpretations in different situations. Non-violence is a value which we know. I know that I do not want to be violated and therefore I know that others also do not want to be violated. (coughs) Two things can happen. First of all, in spite of knowing that the other person does not want to be violated, I may still violate that person for some selfish end that I want to achieve. Because human being has greed, has anger, has selfishness, has passion. And when overcome by these emotions or impulses, it's quite possible that the person will fail to see what is proper and what is improper. It's quite possible that I may deprive other people of what is rightfully theirs. It is quite possible that I may trample upon the rights of other people. It's not uncommon. And therefore also it is necessary that there must be specific rules and regulations which would control or govern my conduct. And that's the reason why we have all these codes of conduct. We have the laws. All the laws that of the land that we have, basically they are all derived from this common sense values only. Of non-violence, of truthfulness, of non-stealing and whatever. Of self-control. Even self-control also is a value, brahmacharya. That's the reason why they don't want us to drink. At least not drink while driving or not be drunk while driving. They don't want us to take uh, drugs and stuff like that because a certain value the society has for self-control. So we have these what we call dharma shastra of the scriptures that instruct us on what are these basic codes of conduct which would form the basis of our day-to-day, our behavior or our activities. And secondly, those values also need interpretations in different situations. Even though I have accepted non-violence as a value, but still it will need on my part an understanding of what non-violence is in a given situation. And so what can we call non-violence in one situation may not be called non-violence in another situation. And therefore, these values all being relative meaning, they depend, they have a bearing upon the time, place and conditions. Therefore, an interpretation of the values also is necessary. 
and that is also what our scriptures do. That is what we call Dharma Shastra, the scriptures uh, expounding Dharma or the righteousness, which tell us also how a given value can be, should be followed in a given situation. And it is not only enough that we are given these instructions. It is also necessary that we should have a leader who follows those instructions. As Bhagavad Gita itself will say in the third chapter, Whatever a leader does, other people automatically follow that. Because most people cannot think independently and therefore they always look up to the leader. And whatever the leader does, that is what they just, they always imitate. And whatever the leader considers as right, or whatever pramanyam or authority he gives to whatever scriptures or religion, that the people automatically adopt. That's the reason why in the olden days when the kings adopted certain religions like Buddhism, automatically the subjects followed. Christianity, subjects followed. Jainism, the subjects followed. And when King Ashoka in India, he declared the vow of non-violence and therefore he stopped uh, a battle which was being fought. Automatically people also adopted that as a value. <coughs> therefore it is necessary that we should have the right kind of leaders who follow these values, demonstrate these values in their life. Because then people can follow it. That's the reason why we have epics such as Ramayana, Mahabharata, who are also Dharma Granthas, where such heroes as Rama and Lakshmana or Arjuna, Yudhishthira, all of them actually followed, implemented the Dharma, the righteousness in their life, and thus demonstration by actual implementation. So ordinary human being needs both these things. He needs instructions in the form of specific do's and don'ts and also he needs what we call an actual uh, demonstration that we teach by actually demonstrating that in our own life. And therefore leaders are also needed who can demonstrate these values in their life. So Shankarajara says here that right in the beginning of creation, Lord Himself created these leaders called Prajapatis, who were given the charge of ruling the people and also themselves following this dharma in their own life, so that people can take lessons from them. So the role of the Prajapatis or rulers was to teach the dharma to the people as well as to demonstrate the dharma to the people by following it in their own life. And thirdly also, to make sure that people follow the dharma, meaning to reward the one who follows the dharma and to punish the one who violates the rule. This is essentially the role of a king or role of a leader. Here, the prajapati, who are like the rulers of all the beings. So Shankarajana says, based on the Puranas, that Lord, having created the universe, also created these prajapatis, all these rulers in order to maintain an order in the universe. That is, Prajapatis would follow the dharma in their own life. At the same time, they will govern the people in such a, in a righteous manner so that people who follow dharma are encouraged and people who violate dharma are discouraged. This is what Lord, having created the universe, also established. This is what the large number of people follow, what we call a life of activity. 
because people have many many desires and therefore there are many needs and needs can be fulfilled only when I get things appropriate to fulfill my needs. I have need for shelter and that can be fulfilled only when I have a house. I have need for transportation, that need can be fulfilled only when I have perhaps a vehicle. So human beings have these needs and these needs can be, uh, these needs expressed in the form of various desires. And these desires can be fulfilled only when we perform appropriate actions. Whenever most people are always what we call active people or oriented towards activity in order to fulfill the various needs that they have. But there are a few who are more evolved people, very few always in a society, who have discovered the limitations of seeking this happiness out of the objects of the world as we are discussing in the morning. Those who are that Viveka and Vairagya, who have that discrimination. Nitya, Nitya, Vastu Viveka. What is Nitya, what is lasting and what is ephemeral? And those who have therefore discovered that what they are seeking in their life is something lasting and that the objects of the world cannot provide that. And therefore, where is that lasting happiness? It is the self which is, uh, which is eternal. And therefore, there is a small number of people who is pursuing this knowledge of the self, who are therefore leading what we call a contemplative life. Life of withdrawal, life of disengagement, or life of what we call renunciation, which is dedicated or committed to the pursuit <coughs> of knowledge of the self. So these are what we call people following nivritti or disengagement or a life of inactivity, meaning inactivity, meaning freedom from the worldly activities, but a life that is devoted and committed to the pursuit of knowledge. They lead what we call a contemplative life. These two lifestyles were recognized. And it is necessary that even for this second group of people, who are following what we call nivritti dharma or dharma of nivritti or disengagement or renunciation or contemplation should also have leaders whom they can imitate or who can they look up to and from whom they can learn. And therefore, tatah anyancha sanaka sanandanadin utpadya nivritti lakshanam dharmam jnana vairagya lakshanam grahayamasa. Say Shankaracharya here that having created these prajapatis who were assigned the duty to look after the path of activity. Then the Lord created these other people. They were not prajapati, but they are sages. Sanaka Sanandanadin Utpadya. So these are the sages who were created. And this Sanaka Sanandana are those four sages that you find seated there in, you know, under Dakshinamurti. Traditionally you find Dakshinamurti being surrounded by at least four sages. And these were the sages who were the first creation, who were the mind-born sons of creator Lord Brahma, who exhibited this spirit of dispassion, renunciation and this craving for knowledge as even they were born. And therefore they did not join their father. Their father was committed to activity, the Prajapati, Brahma. But these children who were born had the dispassion and a love and a craving for the knowledge even as they were born. 
and therefore they did not join their father in the task of creation instead they walked away in search of knowledge and performed a great penance and lord shiva in the form of dakshinamurti appeared before them and imparted them the knowledge this lord is accepted as the first teacher and this sanaka sanandana sanatana sanatkumara this four typically and many others like them were the recipients of this knowledge from lord and what was their assignment they were assigned to look after this path of nivritti or the path of renunciation both by being committed to that lifestyle themselves as well as by way of teaching it to others so thus we have what we call the acharyas or the people the teachers who themselves lead a life of renunciation and who teach this who impart this knowledge to the other seekers who are interested in that and thus we have now this order very well established gnana vairagya lakshanam and what are the primary characteristics of those leading a life of renunciation gnana and vairagya gnana means enlightenment vairagya means dispassion so those who have in their primary primarily possess this wisdom and dispassion they are alone are qualified for what we call the nivritti dharma or the path of renunciation vairagya or dispassion freedom from passion is a primary requirement for a renunciate and so the sanaka sanandana these sages they themselves demonstrated that in their life at the same time they also imparted the teaching of this to the other seekers and so these two lifestyles are there in the in the universe dva bhuta sarga lokesmin there are two bhuta sarga or two kinds of people one wedded to what we call pravritti others wedded to what we call nivritti <coughs> therefore shankaracharya says dvivido hi vedokto dharmah pravritti lakshano nivritti lakshanascha that vedokto dharmah dvividha that dharma that is propounded by the vedas is twofold the path of activity as well as and the path of renunciation the path of what we call karma and path of what we call gnana karma the action or the activity gnana the knowledge which requires necessarily a an atmosphere as we were told this morning that i would like to have a certain atmosphere in the office why is it so because if you want a contemplative mind it should be free relatively from other disturbances it's a requirement that's the reason why those seeking knowledge go to monasteries that's the reason why these gurukulas are built in order to provide a certain atmosphere to those you can't do this on time square i mean you can't conduct this kind of class there if you conduct also it won't help a certain atmosphere is required where we are free from all kinds of demands upon ourselves when the only thing is we have all the time and leisure to pursue this knowledge so you require leisure and that requires freedom from demands so this is the life of renunciates so dvivido hi vedokto dharmah vedas actually propound this twofold dharma or the two basic lifestyles two basic pursuits pravrutti lakshanah nivrutti lakshanascha that lifestyle involves activity where there is a desire to acquire and enjoy and second is the lifestyle where there is a desire to retire and contemplate 
One is what we call an extrovert life. One is what we call an introvert life. By introvert I mean a lifestyle where there is a pursuit of the knowledge. One is a life that is centered on the self, other is a life centered on the non-self. Both are important. It is not that one is superior to the other. You cannot say that renunciation is superior to action. Each one has a place of its own. And it depends upon what is the nature of my mind, what is the disposition of my mind. And therefore, something is right for a given mind. And the Gita will discuss it in great detail. And this is the theme of Bhagavad Gita. As to that we must know both the art of action as well as art of retirement. Art of action as well as renunciation. Both of them we should know. And the renunciation is something that comes when we have learned how to act properly. So Gita will tell us that action can be renounced only when you know how to do it properly. When you cannot be bogged down by that. When you are not bound by it. That you are able to perform an action without being bound by the action, then you are ready to give up the action. That we shall see. So this is the dharma. And what is meant by dharma? Say, jagataha sthitikaranam Pranam Sakshat Abhyudaya Nishraya Sahetu Yaha Sahad Dharma What is Dharma? What is order? The word Dharma also should be understood because there is a lot of confusion at least in India about this word Dharma because the word Dharma is used in all regional languages and colloquially it has many meanings so many words come down in our languages, you know, and then certain meanings are are generally assigned to those words. So dharma is also one of those words which carries connotations in the mind of the people. But dharma in its primary sense is dharana dharma. That which sustains is called dharma. Dharayate it is dharma. That which sustains, that which supports, dhru. Where dharma is derived from, the word dhru. Dhru means to support. So that which supports, that which sustains, that which maintains the order is called dharma. In the ultimate sense, dharma also means the very nature of the being, the nature of a thing. Thus we would say that heat is the dharma of fire. Because fire cannot be fire unless it is hot. Remove heat from fire and fire no more remains fire. And so heat is the very nature of fire and it is called dharma of fire. Or brightness is the dharma of sun. To flow is the dharma of water, fluidity. So therefore the nature of a thing also is called dharma. And really speaking it is that nature which sustains that thing. We would say that gold is the dharma of the ornament. Because it is gold that sustains the ornament. Remove the gold from the ornament, there is no ornament. It is clay that is the dharma of a pot, let us say a clay pot. Because without the clay, a pot cannot be. And so in the ultimate sense, dharma also means the true nature of a thing. Thus this word dharma has also basically two meanings. Dharma as a means and dharma as an end. Human being also has a dharma. 
Dharma as a means and Dharma as an end. What is the true, what is the ultimate Dharma of a human being? Is to own up one's true nature. What is the Dharma of fire? To be hot. What is Dharma of sun? To be bright. And so also, what is the Dharma of human being? To own up the true nature of the human being. And what is the true nature? As we discussed in the Upanishads, the true nature of the human being or true nature of anything ultimately is what we call Sat Chit Ananda. Existence, awareness, fullness. That is the true nature of me and you and everyone. So that becomes the ultimate dharma. To own up my true nature. To abide in the knowledge that I am Satchit Ananda, that I am existence, awareness, fullness. To abide and own up that is my real dharma. purpose of life. And that which leads us to this goal also is called dharma. The means also is called dharma. Sometimes the means are given the same name as the end. In India the trains are named like this, you know. Or they say here also, this is Long Island Express they call it. Why do you call him Long Island? Because it takes you to Long Island. The train is not Long Island. But then, the train which takes you to Long Island also is called Long Island Express. Or Long Island Railroad. Okay. The railroad is of course a system. Express will be a particular train. But anyway. <coughs> so, Long Island is a destination. And the train leading there, the means for reaching the destination also is called Long Island. And therefore, very often, the means carries the same name as the end because it ultimately culminates into the end. Where does the train ultimately reach? Where Long Island is. It becomes one with Long Island when it reaches a destination and therefore even when it is away from Long Island but headed for Long Island, even then also it is called Long Island because its ultimate destination is Long Island. And so also the ultimate dharma, the innate dharma of us is what? Satchit Ananda. To gain that knowledge, own up that knowledge, abide in that knowledge. But then the means leading to that knowledge, leading to that abidance also will be called Dharma. So that means or that way of life which ultimately enables me to gain this knowledge and abide in that knowledge also will be called Dharma. So understand Dharma as an end is what? Satchit Ananda, existence, awareness, fullness. But dharma as a means is what is described in Bhagavad Gita or in the scriptures. That dharma which sustains me and dharma which sustains the whole universe, dharma that sustains the whole life. And that dharma which is what we call the means itself is in two stages. First is what we call pravritti. Second is what we call Nivrutti. First stage is the path of activity leading to the second stage which is what we call the path of renunciation. It is one alone, not two separate paths. It is not that there is a choice between activity and renunciation, but 
it is activity or action that leads to the renunciation. So we have a path of action leading to the path of renunciation, which ultimately leads to what we call the ultimate goal, which is the knowledge of the self. And this is the goal of Bhagavad Gita. Bhagavad Gita is what we call Moksha Shastra, meaning its purpose or objective is to enable the seekers to attain moksha or liberation or the final objective in life. And Vedas also have that end. However, Vedas recognize that everybody does not desire moksha. Everybody is not ready for it. Everybody does not have the value for that. Most people in fact have value only for material prosperity or material well-being. And therefore, that need cannot be ignored. And so Vedas provide for both of these. They provide us many rituals and instructions of performance of actions so that we can fulfill our genuine desire, we can fulfill our desire of material prosperity and material comforts by what we call genuine or legitimate means. Thus the Vedas, the scriptures, do not grudge a person because a person wants material comforts. They say, yes, okay, you can have it. Because he wants pleasures, they do not grudge. They say that, fine, you do pursue your comforts and pleasures, but make sure that the means that you adopt for pursuance of those are fair means or are legitimate means. So you do earn money, gain your comforts, gain your pleasures and everything else, but on based on what we call dharma or based on what we call the legitimate means, the righteous means. So that is called the pravartya lakshana dharma, dharma which is, uh, which uh, governs what we call pravartya or activity, which will be a set of values, which will be a set of, uh, uh, yeah, a set of values based on the order of life. <coughs> and second is nishreyasa. So first is called Abhyudaya. Abhyudaya means material prosperity. And what is the means for attainment of material prosperity here and hereafter? What we call pravritti or activity or action. Nobody can become materially comforted by meditation, you know. You cannot acquire a motor car by meditating. You cannot get, you cannot have a television by simply, you know, by repeating Ramanam or something. For acquiring those things, you must do what is appropriate. You require to perform an action. So that material prosperity called Abhyudaya can be only attained by action. Action that is performed based on what we call Dharma or the righteous course of conduct. And this is the kind of, act- this is the kind of lifestyle that will be adopted by most people who are desirous of material prosperity. But how about a small minority who is interested in what we call nishreyasa or who are interested in ultimate good? Those who recognize that material prosperity is alright but still is only temporary. It cannot give me lasting or permanent happiness. What can give me permanent happiness? That which is permanent. And what is permanent? Nityam vastu ekam brahma tad sarvam anityam 
that Brahman which is one without a second that alone is permanent and that alone can give me the lasting happiness and therefore those who desire to gain the knowledge of Brahman they will naturally follow the path that is appropriate for that and that is what we call the path of vichara, the path of knowledge path of pursuit of knowledge path of inquiry which ultimately leads us to what we call nishreyasa and it is this twofold dharma pravritti and nivritti activity and renunciation pursuit of action and pursuit of knowledge when pursued properly will be able to sustain the whole universe you don't require anybody you don't require a king actually you don't require any regulations if people follow their dharma if everybody is conscientious and honest and wants to do what is proper to do then perhaps you will require very minimum of regulations more and more regulations come because people are less and less righteous anyway but it's this dharma that actually sustains this universe Jagataha Sthitikaranam that which is the cause for sustaining the order in the universe in the society Sakshat Abhyuda Nishresahetuhu that which is directly the means for attainment of either material prosperity or the spiritual well-being the material prosperity by the dharma of pravritti activity and the spiritual well-being by the dharma of nivritti or path of renunciation of knowledge Sahadharmaha Brahmanadyehi Varnibhi and says this dharma must be followed by the people in the society of all kinds and we will see here that there the people in the society were divided into four classes called Brahmana, Kshatriya, Vaishya and Shudra obviously the discussion also will come in Bhagavad Gita those are primarily what we call contemplative people they were called Brahmanas those who were active people but otherwise selfless and desirous of serving they were called Kshatriyas thirdly those who were active but not that selfless though also had their own self-interest they were called Vaishya and fourth were the people who were totally dull meaning devoid of any kind of initiative who always needed to be instructed they were called Shudra Brahmana, Kshatriya, Vaishya and Shudra and the scriptures outline the duties for all these four classes of people so that they would know what to do in given situation and if they follow those instructions then they will be following the path of Dharma and thus when the society follows Dharma then society always prospers that society will prosper where there is righteousness where there is this moral order where the people follow largely the code of conduct in which case everyone will support everyone else if you don't follow dharma then everyone will certainly hurt everyone else because people who are self-centered people who only place their own interest at I mean uh, as prime interest even at the cost of others will definitely wind up hurting others and in turn will be hurt it is said dharma rakshati rakshitaha the dharma that is protected will in turn protect the society if we do not protect the dharma ultimately we alone will perish this is the this is the uh, the conclusion that is derived by the scriptures 
धर्मो रक्षति रक्षित रक्षित धर्म रक्षति दट धर्म ऑफ द राइचियसनेस ऑफ द कोड ऑफ कॉन्डक्ट विच इज प्रोटेक्टेड इन टर्न प्रोटेक्ट एंड दैट इज आउ वेन दिस काइंड ऑफ धार्मिक पीपल वर देर वेन द राइचियस पीपल वर देर द सोसाइटी प्रॉस्पर and thus this codes of conduct are given for different people based on different situations etc in order that they can follow them in different situations in their life and thus they can attain the different ends that they are seeking in their life and in turn they also help other people and thus it is a lifestyle wherein everyone supports everyone else and individually you prosper and the society also prospers this is how it was then what happened is the story that follows later which we will continue tomorrow <coughs> om purnamada purnamidam purnat purnamudachyate purnasya purnamadaya purnameva avashishyate om shante shante shantehi शंकर शंकराचार्य केशव बादरायण सूत्रभाष्यकृत वंदे भगवतौनपुनशरो गुरुरात्मे मूर्तिद विभागिने व्योमद्याप्तहाय दक्षिणमूर्त नम शा 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 हरि ओ श्रीगुभ्यो नम हरि ओ